0: The Princess Bride, one of the best movies of all time, throughout The Princess Bride, Inigo Montoya delivers his iconic line, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. That has nothing to do with our sermon today, I just really wanted to say that in front of people my entire life. <laughs> no, I jest, I jest, it actually does have something to do with our message, because when Anigo uh, says this, he doesn't just say it to the six-fingered man. Right? He says it throughout the movie to pretty much every person he meets. He delivers his name and his purpose. Why? So that people know who he is. So that people know that he's going to avenge the death of his father someday. When Inigo says what he says, we gain insight into who he is as a person. We know things about Inigo because of how he talks about himself. And the same is true when it comes to other people. If you want to understand who someone is, pay attention to how they talk about themselves. If you want to know who someone is, pay attention to how they talk about themselves. I had a friend, a neighbor really, growing up. His name was Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith was a dentist. And Dr. Smith wanted everyone to call him Dr. Smith. His neighbors, his clients, his wife, His kids, Dr. Smith, even called Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith. (laughs) Now, you don't know Dr. Smith, but you know something about him because of how he talks about himself. And what is true of Inigo and what is true of Dr. Smith is also true when it comes to Jesus. If you really want to understand who Jesus is, you can pay attention to how he talks about himself. If you want to come to a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done, pay attention to the name he uses to talk about himself. And that is uh, the real purpose of what we're doing in our current series here at Rooftop, Summer in the Sun. We're spending each week looking at a name of Jesus to see what those names of Jesus tell us about who he is. And in the Gospels... In the stories of Jesus' life, Jesus has one name that he uses to talk about himself a whole lot. And that name is Son of Man. Son of Man. It's Jesus' name for himself. About 80 times in the Gospels, Jesus uses this name to talk about himself. No one else uses this name for Jesus. It's Jesus' self-designation. And so if we want to learn more about Jesus, one of the things we can do is pay attention to this name, to listen to this name that Jesus has for himself. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dig in to this name about who Jesus is. Now, Jesus uses this name for himself in a lot of different circumstances. For example, in Matthew 8, Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In Mark 2, he said, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. When healing a paralyzed man in Luke, Jesus said, But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And in John 3, he said, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so in these instances, and in other places throughout the gospel, Jesus uses this name to talk about himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. But what does this name mean? What does it mean that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man? And what can we learn about Jesus through this name? Well, to really do that, we need to look at another time Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, a story that occurs in Matthew chapter 26. In this story, Jesus has been arrested, and he's been brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council of religious leaders. And he's been accused of crimes against the Jewish temple. And in response to these accusations, Matthew writes, But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. That is, Jesus, swear it to me. Swear an oath. Tell the truth. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. But Jesus said to him, You have said so. And I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power in coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And the council answered, he deserves death. After this, Jesus is tried by the Romans and he is crucified and, spoiler alert, a few days later, he raises from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the devil, and making possible eternal life for everyone who follows him. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. What is Jesus doing here? What is going on in this story? Because in response to the chief priest, Jesus is saying some interesting things, but probably not something that you or I would tear our clothes over. Look again. The chief priest very pointedly asks Jesus, Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And in response, Jesus at first seems to be a little evasive. He says, you have said so. And then he gets to the statement about the Son of Man. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And that is what upsets the chief priest. That is is what bothers him. That statement is what is offensive. But to understand what's so offensive about what Jesus says here, we've got to get into the weeds this morning. We've got to take a deep dive. And so we're going to do that. And as we take this this deep dive, you need to know one really important thing about how Jesus is using the term son of man here. Because as Jesus uses the words son of man here, he's communicating a really important idea to us. And the idea is this, that the son of man is totally human and totally divine. That's really important, so I'm gonna say it again. The son of man is totally human and totally divine. Now that's a complicated set of words to throw together. So we're gonna break that down. First, we're gonna look at what we can figure out about this name, Son of Man, and what it tells us about Jesus' humanity, and then we will turn and look at what it tells us about Jesus' divinity, his godness. And as we start this, we need to start with this little, very important idea called intertextuality. Here's your $20 word for the day, intertextuality. Intertextuality is where you shape what is said in one setting based on another. It's where you take one set of ideas and words from one place and you use it in another place. In other words, intertextuality is like a meme. You guys know what memes are? Those pictures on the internet that people use to communicate with one another? Memes are visual intertextuality. They communicate information from one setting into another. Now, I couldn't bring up memes without showing you some. That would be sad. So, for those of you who are uninitiated, I have some memes for you this morning. Colleen, you can go to the first one. Any Stranger Things fans out here? Has anyone seen all of season three yet? All right, don't spoil it for us. All right. And the next one. And finally, we have to have a Marvel meme here. Now, some of you found those funny. And some of you are like, what is Jacob doing? I'm at church, not scrolling Facebook. And that's okay if you don't understand these. Because there's a lesson here. The lesson is, to understand a meme, you have to, you have, to have other information. You have to understand the original context of the meme. And you have to understand the words that are in that meme. To make sense of this one, for example, you need to know something about Captain America Civil War. And you need to know that Robert Downey Jr. and Benedict Cumberbatch both play Sherlock in different places. You need to have additional information in order to make sense of the meme. And the same thing is true when it comes to intertextuality in scripture. You have to understand the original context of what is going on. You have to have the original set of information so that you can understand the reference later. You have to be able to make sense of what happened in the past so you can understand what's happening now. This is one of the reasons that here at Rooftop, we believe very firmly that Christians need to pay attention to the Old Testament, the first part of the Christian Bible. Lots of Christians don't read the Old Testament. They don't do anything with the Old Testament. There are some Christians who say we should actually unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament, but that causes problems because if you don't understand what's originally being said, if you don't understand the original content of the meme or of the scripture, you can't really understand what's going on when it gets used again. You're going to miss something. You're going to miss something. Some, some information and some communication. And so, back to Jesus. Why on earth does this matter, Jacob? Well, in Matthew 26, when Jesus gives his answer to the high priest, he is intertextually referring to the Old Testament. He's actually intertextually referring to several passages in the Old Testament, including those from Ezekiel and Daniel. Daniel. And so if you want to understand what Jesus is saying when he calls himself the son of man here, we have to understand what Ezekiel and what Daniel tell us. Otherwise, it'll be like looking at a meme without understanding the context. So let's look. What on earth does Ezekiel have to tell us about the son of man? Well, Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet, an Old Testament spokesperson for God who lived several hundred years before Jesus, and throughout the book bearing his name, Ezekiel is called son of man. For example, in Ezekiel 2.1, the Lord spoke to Ezekiel saying, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And throughout Ezekiel, in these passages and in many, many more, Ezekiel is called son of man. And when Ezekiel is called Son of Man, it simply means that Ezekiel is human. He is the son of a human being. And so when Jesus references this name, when Jesus references the name Son of Man, he is also communicating that he is human. He's a human being, he's just like us. Jesus had to eat, Jesus had to sleep. Jesus had to go to the bathroom. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus had to go to the bathroom. Jesus' siblings got into his stuff and annoyed him. Jesus had to work for a boss. Jesus had to pay his taxes. Jesus had to endure all of the things that we have to endure as human beings. The author of the letter to Hebrews talks about this idea. They say, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus experienced everything that we experienced. He lived life in the same way that we do, with one major difference. He didn't sin. He didn't miss the mark of God's expectations. But don't confuse Jesus' sinlessness for his lack of humanity. Don't confuse Jesus' sinlessness for his lack of humanity. Jesus wasn't a robot. He wasn't an ivory tower academic or politician who is so removed from the reality of real-world experience. Jesus wasn't like the, the rich people in the movie Elysium who are out in space and away from all of the crime and dirt and poverty and sickness and death on earth. No, Jesus was down in the dirt with us he's totally human you see far too often we treat jesus as if he is totally different than us as if he is utterly beyond our ability to approach but that's not right yes the author of hebrews says that jesus was in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin but then the passage continues It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, we can approach Jesus. Jesus has gone through what we've gone through. Jesus knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows love and loss. Jesus understands us because he became us. The Son of Man is totally Human. He's totally human. Which is one of the reasons that here at Rooftop, we are comfortable with our series art for this uh, Summer in the Sun series, putting Jesus in sunglasses. Because we're convinced that if Jesus had lived in a time when he could have worn sunglasses, he would have worn sunglasses. Why? Because that's what human beings do when it's bright out. We put sunglasses on. Jesus is totally human. He's totally approachable. You can run to Jesus with whatever your problems are because he gets it. He's lived it. He's totally human, just like you. And so when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, it's a reminder that like Ezekiel and like us, Jesus is human. He's really and truly human. He had to eat and sleep, and go to the bathroom. And so, on one level, when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, it's an antonym. It's different than when Jesus is called the Son of God, which Pastor Matt talked about several weeks ago. Son of Man and Son of God are different sorts of names. But on another level, Son of Man and Son of God are actually synonyms. They actually mean the same thing. And this is where Jesus is... Second intertextual reference in his answer to the high priest comes into play. Because not only did Jesus quote Ezekiel in his answer, he also quoted Daniel. Now, Daniel was another spokesperson for God who lived before Jesus, and the book of Daniel has a lot of very intriguing things in it, but get a load of this thing it has from chapter 7. Daniel says, and behold... By referencing Daniel 7 in his answer to the chief priest, Jesus made something very, very clear. He is not just the son of a human being. He is also the son of man. The son of man talked about in Daniel. The son of man who sits enthroned next to God. In the words of New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg, this passage reveals Jesus as the heavenly son, the one who is second in the universe only to God the Father, the one who has been given the authority uh, throughout the universe to judge and to rule. In other words, when Jesus calls himself the son of man and references Daniel, he's saying that he's totally divine. The Son of Man is God. He is the one who has been appointed to rule and to reign over the world. What the Son of Man does in Daniel 7 is instructive here. Not anyone is given dominion and a kingdom. Not everyone gets an everlasting domain. Not everyone who gets a kingdom who won't pass away. In the ancient world, those are privileges reserved for the gods. Only someone who is divine can be talked about that way. And it's scripture like Daniel 7 that the earliest followers of Jesus looked at when they were trying to decide how to talk about who Jesus was. The earliest Christians believed that Jesus was divine and they codified that belief in these things called creeds. Creeds are guidelines for what Christians should believe. And one early Christian creed talks about Jesus this way, it says, we believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten of the Father before our, all worlds. We'll talk about what that phrase means in a couple of weeks. He's God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Now, there's some the- technical theological language there, but you do not need a-, a master's degree from a seminary to know that that statement is very clear. There's no ambiguity in that creed for who Jesus is. Jesus is like God. Jesus is made of the same stuff as God. Jesus is totally divine. So who is Jesus? Well, he is the son of man. And who is the son of man? Well, like Ezekiel and like us, he's totally human. And like the son of man in Daniel, he's totally divine. He's this ruler of the world. The son of man is totally human and totally divine. That is what Jesus is communicating in Matthew 26 when he responds to the chief priest. And that is why the chief priest freaks out tears his clothes, and tries to get Jesus killed. Sometimes people will look at this passage in Matthew and they will say, you know what? Jesus is evasive here. He's not really telling us who he is. But that's not right. The chief priest understands exactly what Jesus is saying. He understands the audacity of Jesus' claim here to say that he is God and man. He's totally human and totally divine. Now, what we've been doing here this morning, looking at Jesus as the Son of Man, looking at Ezekiel and Daniel to understand how he's totally human and totally divine, what we're doing here is something called Christology. Christology is simply the study of who Jesus is, what he has done, and why it matters. And Christology can get pretty complicated, pretty nuanced. After all, we are talking about God. And God is, by definition, beyond our ability as fallible human beings to fully understand and explain. But as followers of Jesus, we should not be afraid to get into the weeds. We should not be afraid of complicated theological ideas, especially when it comes to who Jesus is. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about Jesus as rabbi, Jesus as teacher, And if Jesus is a teacher, it is our job to learn from him, to learn more about who Jesus is. What could be more important than learning more about who Jesus is? What could be more important than digging into some Christology? Which leads me to my challenge for you this morning. My challenge for you is to learn enough about the Son of Man to be offended learn enough about the son of man to be offended the chief priests and the religious leaders of jesus day they were offended by what jesus said they understood what he was saying and they knew that if he was right a lot of things in their life would have to change when was the last time you read or heard something from jesus that was offensive to you? When was the last time you were uncomfortable with something that Jesus said? Because, you see, far too often we make Jesus look just like us. We think Jesus is a Democrat or a Republican or he wouldn't vote. We think that Jesus would own a shotgun and would be shooting off fireworks on the 4th of July. We think Jesus would march in a pride parade. We think Jesus would be just like us. He'd have a nice car, a nice job, a comfortable 401k. We think that Jesus would have gone to our school, or Jesus would homeschool like us, or Jesus would do any of the the things that we do. We make Jesus look just like us. And when we do that, Jesus stops saying uncomfortable things to us. And he becomes affirmative and approving of our lifestyle and whatever decision it is that we make. But Jesus wasn't interested in being who other people thought he was. And he isn't interested in being exactly who we think he is. Jesus was offensive and countercultural and proclaimed the truth, especially when that truth was not what his audience wanted to hear. Jesus had a mission. He had a mission to save humanity from sin and death, to fix what was wrong with the world, and to remind us that the universe does not revolve around us. And what we think it is. So, don't be comfortable with a Jesus who looks and sounds exactly like you. Or exactly like me. Learn more and more and more about who Jesus is until you're uncomfortable. Until it's offensive to you. To close out our time this morning, I want to share one final time that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' earliest followers are bickering amongst themselves, and he stops them and he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, the Teacher, he came not to be served. He gave up all of the power and the influence and the perks that came with being totally divine, and he served so that those who follow him would not live in darkness but in light. This is good news for you this morning rooftop. The son of man the son of God became the son of man so that all of us could be sons and daughters of God if we follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus as the Son of Man, someone who's just like us, someone who we can approach, who understands what it means to be human. Father, thank you for sending Jesus as the Son of Man, as someone who is so powerful and divine that through his sacrificial death we might have life. Lord, give us the courage. To learn more about your son, to learn so much that it makes us uncomfortable, to learn so so much that we can better understand and obey him, to learn so much that we can better follow and glorify him. Father, if there are those here this morning who don't know your son, give them courage to encounter the Son of Man this morning. And give us all the courage and the wisdom to follow the totally human and totally divine Son of Man, Jesus Christ, your Son, in whose name we ask all of these and many other things.